Hey, everyone. If you like what we do, make sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow wherever you listen to podcasts. We are everywhere. That way we can keep talking about the stuff that we love. And that's Jujitsu Kaisen 24-7, 365. And now, on with the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And oh boy, we got a fun one for today. We are talking about the hottest new shonen anime, Jujutsu Kaisen, and by extension, the theatrical prequel, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that March of 2022 celebrates the 25th anniversary of Toonami. I have to ask, how big of a role did that programming block play in your childhood? I guess a better question would be, who wasn't introduced to anime and action shows without Toonami? Because it's like, Toonami was there. It gave us Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing, all like the big action shows, Sailor Moon, and it also had like Batman and Superman, of course. But it was really there for anime. That's how a lot of people got to see Outlaw Star and or the Big O. And it traded off Yu Yu Hakusho from uh, Adult Swim during their big anime uh, Saturday night blocks back then. So then, you know, they got, of course, Tenchi Muyo. Though Toonami also made Tenchi Muyo very big as well, even though it wasn't specifically an action show which was always kind of interesting Mm -hmm. and then there was that one period where uh hamtaro was like one of the biggest things ever in anime (laughs) oh god i I remember like how just wildly popular that show became for a number of years not just on toonami but they also played it like early weekday mornings it was almost inescapable without toonami i don't know if i would be here the way i am today because that was a, a huge cornerstone in my childhood, not just because of Dragon Ball, but that's also where shows like Batman, Superman, and Batman Beyond got the most exposure. And also other shows like Symbiotic Titan, Samurai Jack, even the original anime, the original co-production between Toonami and Production IG, Immortal Grand Prix. And then of course you have the motivational speeches, and all those like special events they did like once a year. Yeah, no, there was a time where they would be like, yeah, sure, we're going to show Princess Mononoke on Toonami. <laughs> no, no apologies there. <laughs> but, you know, they also had like a ton of other shows that kind of came in and out of there. Like at one point they had Prince of Tennis and Rave Master. Unfortunately, it just really died out when it hit the mid-2000s, and that's when Naruto was really the only reason it was still around. Mm-hmm. People watched it for stuff like Teen Titans and such, but the anime pull was like, the, the introduction to anime was getting bigger and bigger as time went on, and Toonami started losing relevance, and it's a shame, but that's kind of what happened. And then when they brought it back, they'll have a few new shows, but it was mostly like a way to watch uncut versions of like all your old favorites, like Outlaw Star, Dragon Ball, and what have you. Like, I have a lot of fond memories of it. 
but I also have a lot of memories of just like when it was dying off and then that the the weird early time where one of the uh, space ghost villains was the host oh Moltar <laughs> yeah Moltar I thought that was, that's so amusing to think about before we got Tom and the AI assistant and the ever amazing Steve Blum, who is mostly the voice of Tom now, even though there was someone else before him. Before they got Steve Blum, Sonny Strait, who played Krillin on Dragon Ball, was the, the 1.0 version of Tom. And he was pretty fun, but Stephen Blum pretty much became the definitive voice of that character. Yeah, it's like even before we knew it, it was just like he would pop up everywhere and I'd be like, oh, hey, Steve, nice seeing you in uh, the Immortal Grand Prix. Oh, and there you are in Cowboy Bebop. There you are with Wolverine. <laughs> and No, it's just a very interesting legacy that Toonami has. And I'm glad that it was a way for people to get into anime, even if all they showed were really the shonen action battle shows. Which is not bad. It's I don't blame shonen battle shows for being as big as they are because, you know, Toonami helped with that kind of thing. And Adult Swim's Midnight Anime Block also did a lot for that because that, that was like the one way you could watch Yu Yu Hakusho for a while until Toonami picked it up. Mm-hmm. I had to be very sneaky watching Yu Yu Hakusho on Adult Swim because my parents were not necessarily strict per se, but they questioned every once in a while, the stuff that I was watching. But when I did get the opportunity, it was something I very much appreciated. Well, that was during a time where there wasn't much in the way of like adult animation. It was really just The Simpsons and that was it. And even then, saying that Simpsons were adult had a different context to it. Because then when anime came in, it was just like, oh, look at all this hyper-violence and cursing and swearing. Won't somebody think of the children? And it's just like, calm down. But it was funny, like, when you would watch Yu Yu Hakusho, like, on Adult Swim with all the curse words. And then when it became more popular on Toonami, and then you'd be like, like, he can't get down here, or else I'm going to kick your face in. And it's like, that's not the line. (laughs) but you know Tanami is important and unfortunately they are like in the situation of maybe dying off again because they can't afford to syndicate the much more popular shows right now like Demon Slayer is literally too expensive for them to syndicate even though Demon Slayer it would get a bigger audience maybe from Adult Swim but it kind of doesn't need Tsunami. That's true. Ways. It doesn't. Even though it's a shame because I know we're going to talk about Jujutsu Kaisen because Jujutsu Kaisen would be one of those shows that would have been a huge hit on Tsunami. Granted, they'd have to cut out some of the crasser moments, especially with one of the characters who we'll get into in a moment. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just like they would have to work around a few things. And they, you don't notice that until you look up some of the things like with uh, Zatch Bell, a lot of stuff had to get cut and worked around because Viz or whoever was in charge at that time was just like, oh, how do we make this work? <laughs> and Viz Media was not so much as bad as like four kids, but Viz Media would trigger happy when it came to anime censorship. 
not to say it's like a bad thing. I understand you see some of the stuff and it's just like, yeah, they would have had to cut that for the target demographic that they were aiming at. You know, anime was different back then. You either go to the rental store, like a Blockbuster or something, and see if they had some of your favorite anime on DVD or you just pick out whatever they had that somehow got like wrapped up in the family film section which you know even with some of the stuff on the covers they said absolutely not for children it would sit right next to a disney movie (laughs) (laughs) so uh that's all i really have to say about tsunami i'm glad it's still around happy birthday and thank you for getting so many people into animation especially action animation so yeah thank you tsunami for pretty much inventing my childhood to a lesser extent that's our look into the past now a look towards the future which sort of trailers are we talking about this week let's talk about the first two that have the least amount of information we got our first look at hit pig one of the films that we got to finally uh, see some kind of footage for And we talked about this film during our uh, big what's coming out this year episode that we did a few months back. Man, it's a few months back now. And it's coming from Anaventure. They're the same people who did the Riverdance, the animated adventure film. And, you know, it's the one that's starring Peter Dinklage as Hit Pig, a grizzly bounty hunter who catches escaped animals and returns them to humans for pay. And then there's he goes after this uh, naive elephant and who's escaping this evil vegas showman and she's voiced by lily singh and what's interesting about this is that it's being directed by david feiss who was a director for cow and chicken and despicable me too huh and cinzia angelini who worked on mila and minions and then it's produced by adam nagel who did, you know, Riverdance, the animated adventure, and then Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, and Dave Rosenbaum, who worked on Riverdance and Secret Life of Pets. It's being written by Tyler Warren, who adapted the, the Dr. Seuss book, The Lorax, for Illumination. A lot of the animation will be completed by Cinecytes, the Adams Family 2 studio. There's not a whole lot to talk about. It's 17 seconds And it's really just like, hey, this film is coming out. We will have a trailer sometime in the future. I'm curious to see what else there is, because I like the design of the character. But I'm curious to see what the rest of the film looks like. I need a little bit more to chew on before I can really even say whether or not I'm excited. I'm interested in the concept and anything with Peter Dinklage at least deserves my curiosity. Without much to go on with the trailer, it's hard to gauge whether or not this will actually be a good movie. But I'm at least 10% more invested than I was before. No, I remember we were like, hey, they say it's coming out this year. Who knows now? (laughs) And then the next one, Netflix just dropped this trailer literally the day before recording this episode for a new anime series based off of the acclaimed Tekken series called Tekken Bloodline, which will be a prequel series to an 
extent because it's also going to be like kind of I think connected to Tekken 1 in some ways because Jin Kazuma is the main character and it's going to be a TV series. Unfortunately, we have no idea who is working on it, who's directing it. That's a little worrying because I'm like, who are you hiding? Is this MAPPA? Is this Signal MD, the people who worked on Dragon's Dogma from 2020? Like, I guess I would have loved a little more information than what we got because the trailer looks fine. It, the stylish CGI cell shaded look is pretty cool looking. They got a lot of a or a couple of the iconic characters in there, like Jin's grandfather, who is just you know in line for the worst parent in uh, just pop culture history. I mean, granted, I'd say he's up there because he uh, drops his kid off a cliff. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, yeah, no, the Tekken franchise is wild. <laughs> and then we got like this Aztec villain from the, I think it was the first game. I don't know if he appears in the other games. It says, forgive me, my knowledge of Tekken goes up to a certain degree. And then there are other characters, like you'll see, like, I think Iron King is his name, the wrestler with the Jaguar mask, who you see in a trailer. I hope they don't try to fit in as many characters as possible. Because if they want this story to work, then they need to sacrifice and accept that they can't fit every character into the story. Because if they do, then we have a Street Fighter 2, the motion picture or the movie situation where there's just no reason for 90% of these characters to be in the film. The only problems I have with this trailer are very minor. As a very casual Tekken fan, I only ever owned Tekken 3 on the PS1. I am by no means an expert in the lore. The only other like nitpick I have with this is kind of the same problem I have with a lot of English dubs for CG anime, where the lip flaps aren't like fully aligned. But that's literally like the least of my concerns. At the end of the day, I just hope that this is an entertaining show that doesn't try to bite off more than it can chew. Yeah, no, we'll have to see because they can't go too far with the plot. Like they can't just say like, oh, we're going to just do all the first three games and such. And so it's like, no, (laughs) I think if they just go from the first game, like plot wise, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, that, that sounds reasonable. Yeah. No, um, but we'll have to see. I'm sure we'll hear about it again in the near future. That's usually how Netflix is. They release a teaser and then they'll release a trailer a month before (laughs) it comes out. Now, of course, we have two other trailers that came out recently. We have Apollo 10 and a half, A Space Age Childhood, the new rotoscoped animated feature from Richard Linklater. And... Well, it's finally nice to see some, it's like something about this film because we learned about it in 2020 and, and it's about like during, you know, the big, like Apollo mission, but it's like from the childhood perspective and like the childlike mindsets of, you know, a kid going into space to help NASA and such. 
even though in today's climate that would be like no you're not going to send a kid <laughs> into space you <laughs> spend a million dollars or more well i say a million which you know that's underselling how much they actually spend but the point is they wouldn't be sending a kid into space <laughs> i like this trailer it's very homey and nostalgic which is what Linklater is doing like again he's kind of dipping into his childhood Cameron Crowe style which you know it's about a kid growing up during the 1960s and we have uh, Glenn Powell Zachary Levi and Jack Black among many other people and it's being directed by Richard Linklater and written by him and it'll be coming out April 1st I'm actually kind of jealous of those who saw this film at South by Southwest. Well, because of course this would play there. Um, Linklater is, is a Texan. Um, yeah, he's an Austinite. I know yep. because I lived there. I saw him during a special screening of Local Hero. And he filmed a lot of his films in Austin and in Texas. So don't be shocked about that. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think out of the three rotoscope uh, movies that he's done, this one definitely looks the best. And this is also the first one that doesn't have Alex Jones in it. Thank God. Um, I'm, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that just forgot about that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, though, this like even just the story uh, about this one sounds like it's going to be fun. I'm always a fan of seeing Zachary Levi in really anything because he's just a very likable, uh, charismatic performer. And also, when you have Jack Black in a Linklater film, it's never going to be less than like a four or four and a half out of five because Jack Black is Linklater's good like luck secret. charm. Yeah, no, that that's true. I was a little shocked not to see Ethan Hawke in the cast because he's usually there also, but or he's there for a lot of Linklater's films, it's from what I remember, but he'll show up in something down the line, but yeah, it is a little surprising to see him missing from the cast. Yeah, yeah, but it looks good. It's coming out April 1st. It's coming out the same month as Bubble, the uh, anime film. So it's going to be interesting to compare and contrast the two films. I mean, they're entirely different films. It's just like, which one will people pay more attention to? But, you know, seeing a director like Linklater tackle animation is always a interesting time. So, and then... We have official trailer for the second and possibly last Puss in Boots film. I say that like there was a franchise of films when it's just Puss in Boots from 2011 and then this film. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which, you know, is game released in September and has, of course, the return of Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek as their characters, but it also has Olivia Coleman and Florence Pugh, Florence uh, Pugh. Ray Winstone, John Mulaney, a pretty stacked cast. And that's not the only thing that's like stunning about the film itself because I don't know what happened at DreamWorks. They are going all in with making animated films with stylized CGI animation. Puss in Boots has, in this one, a much more painted look to it. And yes, it's going the route of like what Spider-Verse and the Mitchells versus the Machines did. <laughs> That's fine with me. I don't care who did it first. It's the fact that we're getting more films like this. 
And it's really weird because I watched the entire Shrek franchise over this uh, week because of this trailer. And I don't want to like be backhanded with my compliments there to these previous films, but Puss in Boots, The Last Wish just looks better than like any of the other films. Mm-hmm. Like I still stand by my comments made in uh, last year when we did the whole Shrek retrospective where um, I said the move to HD animation and better tools did not do the art style any favors. And then watching Puss in Boots be like, oh, it's kind of weirdly trying to compromise between the two of having a stylized look, but still feel sensible and grounded within the Shrek universe. This new film just says, screw that. (laughs) And it just looks a hundred times better. It looks more cohesive. It's a lot more expressive and... I got a huge kick out of the action and the jokes, especially how you watch Puss in Boots die eight separate times. <laughs> Favorite is, um, I think it was either like the third or fourth like life that he, that he lost. It's the one where he's like, cats always land on their feet. And then all you see is like the glass of milk drop to the floor. Yeah, he's like drunk on milk. And he says like, cats always land on their feet. Watch. And he just falls off this high tower. And it's just like, oh, okay then. <laughs> just the editing montage. It's so quick and kinetic. And uh, that trailer is so good. It is so good. And I just love the painted look to everything. It's like, this is what I want to see with CGI animation. I want to see more films, whether they are based on something pre-existing or original. Like, do more with the animation. Like, I can't wait to see what the action look like in, like, full like scenes, like seeing that wolf with the two hook swords, then like that sequence where they fight Goldilocks and the three bears, which that's just hilarious to me that they're basically turning the fairy tale characters into bounty hunters. And then of course we have a new little uh, sidekick companion of his, who's, uh, oh, what's his name? Peril, who's voiced by Harvey Gielen. He's the main character in What We Do in the Shadows. It's like if you heard his voice before and such. Oh, it just makes me excited that they're... I know everyone was like, okay, I guess they're going to make a new one. Like, granted, the the character himself can be disconnected from the Shrek franchise to work still. But it's also been like 20, like 12 years. (laughs) Or 11 years, I think. Yeah, 11 years. Since the last film, will people actually care about it? And then it's just like, DreamArch is like, oh, we're going to make you care about it. (laughs) DreamArch wants to go into this, like lean more into the stylish animation. I'm down. To answer your question of whether or not people care, just a little reminder, the first Puss in Boots made $555 million on a $130 million budget. So while that's not like too big of a profit, I think there's still some gas in the tank. Well, I mean, like that's still a lot of money, all things considered. I guess to me, it's, a, it's just like the, the amount of time it has taken for a new film to come out. And with that looming threat of a fifth Shrek film hanging over everyone by illumination and such. About that fifth Shrek film. And I can ask you this because you recently revisited them. Where the hell do you even go past Forever After? You either reboot the whole thing 
you, I don't want to say prequelize it, even though we're about to talk about a prequel tonight. <laughs> um, or you just go all out with the fifth film. Just go as absurd and as cartoony as possible. Like go the route of the crudes and such. Just be absurd, be funny. Who cares if the story is lightweight? As long as the jokes and writing is there, people are going to be fine with it. I guess you're right. There's just not much else or like anywhere else for it to go, which is why I think they're testing the waters with this new Puss in Boots film. It's like, we'll see the reaction of this and then we'll say everything's a go-go with this fifth film or whatever. That's a pretty smart way to kind of test the waters because people really do love the Puss in Boots character. If this movie succeeds, which I have a strong feeling that it will, then that will embolden Universal to be like, okay, we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And well, it just has a great cast as well. And Antonio Banderas seems like he hasn't lost a beat with this character. Not in the slightest. <laughs> just his delivery and the whole thing. It's just like, just watch. And then just kills himself accidentally. <laughs> uh, but that's all we have for trailers for right now. Hopefully we'll get more the next time we talk about them. But those were some pretty solid trailers. I mean, it mixed overall, but, you know, nothing wrong with that. Indeed. All right. So now we have the rest of the podcast to talk Jujutsu Kaisen. Let's start with, like, the the series itself, because I know that the film is kind of based on a prequel manga that came out before the anime, but... Let's be honest, the movie wouldn't have existed without the success of the main anime. Which is interesting because the prequel manga actually came out first. And then it became such a hit that then they greenlit the show. So now it's in reverse. The series was such a hit, then they greenlit the prequel film. (laughs) Yep. It's basically an example of chicken before the egg. Like, the closest I could compare this to is you know, the Hobbit trilogy coming out after Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Right, right. No, it's definitely an interesting situation. And, well, now that all anime is under Crunchyroll, it was going to be interesting because the show came out when Funimation and Crunchyroll were still just two different entities. And Crunchyroll was successful, but they didn't have their own real battle franchise to call their own. And then they got Jujutsu Kaisen. And then of course that took off, of course, with Mappa being the studio behind it and getting the same director as the God of high school as well to direct. I think he directs both the show and the movie. Yep. It's just really cool because I think we're getting to a point where Shonen battle franchise stuff is trying to become better and is becoming better because with My Hero Academia, Demon Slayer, and Jujutsu Kaisen, the new generation of shonen franchise shows that would have shown up on Toonami if Toonami aired like this decade and such. Before we continue, would you say that My Hero Academia, Demon Slayer, and uh, Jujutsu Kaisen are like the new Naruto, Bleach, and One Piece? Well, in a lot of ways, they are. I mean, in more ways than one. Like, they are the new long-running action franchises. But they also represent two different 
situations of production because One Piece and Naruto, especially with the sequel series Boruto, got kind of stuck into a situation of we have to come out weekly. We can't just do like 24 episodes and then go away for a year and then come back for the next season and such, which is what, you know, killed rising popularity of One Punch Man. Even though One Punch Man is fine, the second season was still like very popular. It's just, I think people would have been fine if they had to wait a year for or two for the next season and such. And that's what's going on with like My Hero Academia. They're not having to do like a constant weekly thing where that like unlike One Piece, where One Piece has to like be very careful with how it adapts the manga and such because it's basically coming out around the same time as the anime. The anime is coming out around the same time as the manga. And the same with like Boruto and such. And yet like these new shows like Jujutsu Kaisen are able to take their time to be like, we'll take a year and then we'll be able to pace out how we want to tell the story, how we want to adapt it which isn't always a given with some shows like that Roman boxer anime from last year was like, we're going to go through 10 manga in like three episodes, (laughs) which is really not a smart way to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice that shows like Jujutsu Kaisen are able to be like to take their time. So we can just like enjoy the first 24 episodes and then they go away for a little bit, let us breathe, and then they come back a while later. Or they give you like a movie or something. And with Demon Slayer, My Hero Academia, and Jujutsu Kaisen, their franchise films are also produced differently. Well, to an extent. My Hero Academia still kind of falters in that regard. But with Demon Slayer, even with the fact that Mugen Train got turned into a set of episodes, even after the film was you know stupidly successful there's just a different vibe to how these shows are getting made these days and it's for the better in some regards like of course as we talk about this as we praise and talk and love the show mappa you need to treat your animators better and i don't care if you're opening a new cg focused studio or you're hiring 500 more people the industry as a whole, including you, need to train and take care of your animators. Because if you don't have any animators, you don't have any shows. So Exactly. But let's actually talk about Jujutsu Kaisen. So the story follows high school student Yuji Itadori as he joins a secret organization of jujitsu sorcerers in order to kill a powerful curse named Ryomen Tsukuna, of whom Yuji becomes the host. Now, Mike, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to throw you a pitch. Okay. Say I'm someone who's getting into anime. I know nothing about it. I've only watched like the Ghibli films and maybe a Hosoda film here and there. I haven't really delved into like the seasonal anime drops or any of the big franchise stuff because there's just way too freaking much. If you were going to tell me 
what is so special about Jiu-Jitsu Kaizen in an overall statement before we kind of dive into it? How would you sell me someone who's, again, just pretending here, not into anime, to watch this show? I will say this. If you like shows with a an irreverent sense of humor, but with dark, almost nightmare fuel imagery and badass action scenes, then you should watch this immediately. Okay, then here's question two. I am now a anime snob. I only like the more artistic anime ever made. Autaxi is my favorite anime. <laughs> so let's just start from that point. I am not, and again, this is just situational. I don't like the tropes and everything that comes into play with shonen battle shows. What would make me want to check this out if it is just another shonen battle show? Like, what makes it stand out? Well, that's the thing. This still has the tropes of your typical shonen anime, but through a far more refined lens. It helps that all of these characters are likable. Even the ones that you don't think you're going to like, they will win you over by the end of the season. And like I said before, the action is incredibly well choreographed. The actual designs of all the uh, the curses and the and like the different monsters of the week are they all have very unique designs. Some of them more well done than others. But since you fancy yourself an anime snob, to be clear, I'm not because I'm more welcome and open to watching shonen battle shows. I was speaking hypothetically. Okay, I'm just making sure. Since you fancy yourself a um, an anime snob i'm assuming that you take a liking to neon genesis evangelion and i think even the the mangaka um confirmed that evangelion was kind of the influence um artistically for a lot of these designs and that makes a lot of sense when you really think about it yeah it does (laughs) now Here's one thing you haven't mentioned yet that I think actually helps with making Jujitsu Kaisen stand out. It's the pacing. Mm. I think what Jujitsu Kaisen does better than most shows, because they're not stuck on a weekly release schedule like One Piece, Jujitsu Kaisen kind of knows what you're there for. So it can get to a lot of the story beats faster and it works on making sure you know who the characters are within its cramped like 22 minute runtime because by like the second episode we already know all three of the main characters we know yuji we know megumi we know nobara i think that's very smart it's not dragging out its storyline or plot i think what helps is that it didn't start right when the manga was released it started like maybe a year or a year and a half or so the manga first pu- oh, was first published in- <laughs> yeah so yeah it was able to like let the manga breathe a little expand and polish its world and characters and then mappa's like the production committee said like okay let's send this to mappa because they're the only ones who will make this look good I mean, outside of like Wit Studio and whatnot, but, you know, MAPPA is still one of the studios you go to for 
to adapt your extremely detailed action heavy franchise stuff a quick spoiler for one of my negatives of the movie is that the only reason i don't think like the animation in the movie is as impressive by mappa standards is because they do this shit all the time like on television so really if you're going to watch the movie in theaters you're going because of all of the reasons to love the series well we'll talk about that because i think the movie's in a very particular situation that's kind of interesting about it the pacing is what really helps because they move like it's not breakneck pacing like that's what happened to uh, the director's last show that he worked on with MAPPA, Sungu Park directed The God of High School, which during uh, summer 2020, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, the action in this is so great. Can you, for the love of God, slow down? <laughs> like it basically crammed a, a 52 episode plot into 12 episodes and it suffered for that. This feels a lot more breathable. And it's like, yes, it does go at a fast pace, especially like by the sixth episode, we are introduced to the second year students and exam that takes up for a good chunk of the exam doesn't start until like the halfway point, but it's still like you're introduced to everyone early on and you get who they are as characters before they throw you into the exam part. They do focus on this one incident that helps shape UG uh, with encountering the one of the major villains of the show with Mahito, a very deranged, cursed individual who uh, I know it's a trend to, to be like, okay, what are our current shonen battle anime villains like right now? Okay, they have gray hair. Perfect. <laughs> and I think what helps again it's like yes you know the what these story beats are going to be but they like like I said they just trim it down so much to basically like to the fact that it comes off like oh you know who these characters are per se like you get who they are by the first time you meet them and I think that's so smart mm-hmm it's kind of like um, when a lot of shows are so are kind of meta about we know why you're here. So we're going to indulge in the anime tropes. But this one's just like, yeah, we know you're here. We're going to make sure you have fun. And boy, do we have fun. It's uh, more of like a next generation Yu Yu Hakusho. It's a horror themed shonen battle anime with some truly just horrifying monsters to look at well curse spirits and what have you but i mean like what else do you think really stands out about this show besides its animation and its absurdly great looking <laughs> uh action stuff funny you bring up Yu haka show because 2020 when we talked about the first three episodes i did make that comparison but it wasn't until i think it's like either episode six or seven when yuji dies that like the comparison really started to become more appropriate once he's revived thanks to the spirit or the curse's name, uh, Sukuno. Um, yeah, to uh, Ryoman Sukuna. Once Sukuna brings him back to life, that's when I'm like, oh, okay, so he's that kind of protagonist. And that's honestly to me when the series pivoted from 
oh yeah, this is really good to no, this is great. Because something else that's kind of unique about this show is there is just as much a conflict between our main hero and like the typical monsters of a week to him literally facing his inner demons. Yeah, there's a real like stake within the first 24 episodes. Yuji is now the host of this incredibly powerful spirit. They all now have to find those 20 fingers of Sukuna, and then Yuji's going to get killed. <laughs> so basically his arc is like just an entire uh, ticking time bomb. Yeah, and that's what gives it like such like a very like let's get going right now attitude. The story wants to get going, and that's what Sungu Park like specializes in if the god of high school is any you know thing to go by <laughs> um, they are able to make these trope like the characters that like these familiar characters work i like yuji he's not that obnoxious of a main character he's more kind of like a mix of like yusuke and luffy from one piece in a lot of ways like he's he's the combination of both of those characters he's strong and ready to just fight but he's also very happy and go lucky especially when he beats his teacher at that metal ball throwing thing in the first (laughs) episode how he's just like okay so if i beat you you will stop asking me to join the sports club okay boom okay bye (laughs) zoom (laughs) just instantly humiliating him in front of the entire school i also love how his his goals aren't too lofty pretty much his entire raison d'etre in this show is his grandpa's two dying wishes is help out people and surround yourself like good company and that's nice it's just like he's it's not like i'm going to be the next supreme leader or i'm going to be the number one hero or something it's just like i want to be a good person and that's nice it's such a realistic goal in such like the rise to fame and popularity will come but be a good person first And I like how Megumi Fushiguro is not just the edgy bad boy character. Or at least he's like the more tolerable version of it. It's not like he's, you know, Sasuke or anything where he just kind of hates the main protagonist like to a ridiculous degree. He's pretty chill and kind of like Yuji. He has a good uh, moral compass. Yeah, right, right. And... His power is really cool with summoning spirits to help him and such. And by the way, he's voiced by Robbie Damon. He was in Infinity Train. He was one of the main characters of that show. He's uh, Jesse. Yeah, he's Jesse. And not to say that that's the only thing he's from. He's been in other things. He's in Demon Slayer. He's in Nino Kuni. He's in like BNA. And <laughs> he's, a, he's the main character in The God of High School. <laughs> uh, it's full circle he's also in like attack on titan and sleepy princess in the demon castle he's also in a remain yeah and uh he's aquaman king of atlantis as just finhead <laughs> and if you've seen the recent my hero academia film he's uh fleck turn the uh the main villain of the third film he's just like he's not just like oh i hate everyone which is like i get it we when we're 13 and such, we think the edgelord character is the coolest thing ever. And then when we get older, it's like, oh, gosh, I would have found this person insufferable. 
<laughs> like if I met him today. <laughs> and a fun fact about Yuji's voice actor, Adam MacArthur. If you've seen Star versus the Forces of Evil, he's Marco Diaz. <laughs> and um, if you watch My Hero Academia, he's Koku Hanabata, who's like a major vil- secondary villain in the show. Oh, and from Orbital Children, he's uh, Tayo. Yeah, yeah. And then he's also in like the Saints Magic Powers on Omnipotent and in Shadow's House. We're going to just recognize a bunch of cool people. <laughs> I'm excited for this like new crop of dub actors. Yeah, being able to work in both anime and mainline US shows. But let's also talk about one of the things that Jujutsu Kaisen does way better than most of uh, Shonen Battle shows. Let's talk about uh, these next two characters. Let's start with Nobara Kujisaki, who is thankfully not a Sakura <laughs> of from Naruto. And I know we're going to be punching on Naruto and it's like not even like it's a trope. It's a cliche to punch on Naruto for its writing. But when Naruto is such a big thing and then you see Nobara walk into play, it's like there's no contest. Nobara is a better female protagonist of the trio of main characters of first year students oh yeah she's not useless and she's not complaining she's not just glomping onto megumi because he's the edgy bad boy what have you she's more in line with like kind of in the middle of the two because like she'll be super excited with yuji on certain things and then be just as serious to get the job done like megumi is and she's more of a hard-edged character than most shonen battle shows make female characters which even with stuff like kimono jihen it's like well i like the female characters there but they're still kind of written the same way as most uh shonen battle shows i think all of the female characters in this show are some of my favorite that i've seen in anime at least this decade and i like the ones from one piece i like robin and nami But it took time to make those characters flesh out, like to become more complex and such. Here, Nobara's is like, I don't take nonsense very well, and I'm going to shove a bunch of nails into you. (laughs) Also, she has a straw voodoo doll. That's terrifying. Yeah, very interesting take on like, she's not the healer character, which, great, we needed to kill that trope right where it stood. Like, even when it first happened, it's like, bam! No more. <laughs> and then we have our mentor character, Satoru Gojo, who he's like a more bubbly Kakashi. And not just because of the, the mask part covering his face. He will take the job seriously, but he's got a more chipper attitude compared to everyone. And within the movie and the show itself, you will understand why he does that. Oh, yeah. And just on the surface, Gojo is probably the most chaotic good character in the entire series yeah i think that's right and yes he i mean yeah under that doofy demeanor he's immensely powerful one of the strongest characters within the show and franchise but it is just funny seeing him be like oh yeah by the way while you two were dealing with this immensely terrible curse and trying to get one of the first fingers first i went to this place to get mochi (laughs) It's like, you could, really? (laughs) You were on an important mission and you side-quested to get some sweets? (laughs) 
I think the dynamic between Yuji and Sukuna is a lot more interesting than like, oh, I like I have to make this deal with the devil kind of character. I mean, granted, Sukuna is literally the devil in some regards, but Sukuna fights back like much harder than most. He's not just like, aren't you kind of pathetic? Why am I here? Why should I listen to you? And then like begrudgingly like, well, fine, I guess I'll help you. He's more just like, listen, you can take control as much as you want, but sometimes I want to come out. And then when Yuji is just like, I need your help, he will sass back. And I think that's a very good dynamic between the two that he's just like, I'm not really here to help you. Their relationship is like, look, I'm just living here uh, rent-free. So yeah, you're stuck with me. I need you to live, but that doesn't mean I'm going to help you unless I feel like it. Right, right. That kind of makes Yuji a little bit OP because, you know, poisons don't work on him or... A bunch of stuff doesn't work on him. Yeah. But I think what works is the fact that Sukuna, Yuji is having to be more reliant on his training this time around. Like throughout the first, at least for this first season, Sukuna doesn't really help. The only time he does help is when the villain uh, Mahito comes in and says like, I'll just invade your brain and take him for his powers for myself. And Sukuna's just like, "Eh, no, get the hell out of here. And then just flicks him out because he's just that strong. He could just like deal with nonsense. Like it's a flea biting him or something like that. So I think that's like the other thing that keeps this show very compelling. It's just like, where is that dynamic going to go? Is the like chemistry between the two, like, are they going to actually be able to cooperate with one another as Yuji like eats more of the fingers and then Suka becomes more powerful. Like will Sukuna be more willing to cooperate because if Yuji dies, he dies. And he knows that, like, oh, I can't let that happen. Then we have... Can we talk about the, the, the faculty and the staff? Because they're actually some of my favorites. So we have the principal, Masamichi Yaga, who's voiced by Keith Silverstein. He's able to put spirits into dolls, which is very delightful to see. It leads to some of the more flexible, cartoony animation that you can see. And his first major mission he gives Yuji is to like watch a movie and then keep the doll next to him calm or else the doll will kick the tar out of him. <laughs> uh, but what other characters that you like? I think my favorite might be Kento Nanami, who's voiced in the English dub by David Vincent. He's the one with like yeah. the, the blonde hair and the suit. With the butcher knife and how he's just like, being a jujitsu sorcerer sucks. But so I quit and got a desk job. And then... I realized something working nine to five is a hellish situation. So I quit doing that. <laughs> he's a very fun character in that regard, partially because he's like personality wise, the complete opposite of Gojo, but he's also kind of a badass. and all of the fight scenes that he's in, will get to the movie too, because he gets a little moment to shine. Right. Are like for a lot of those reasons, he's just awesome. Everything from his character design to his wardrobe and just like the relationship that he has with his students, particularly Yuji, they seem to get along well enough. That's one of my favorites. He's got this 
curse ability to basically like he can pinpoint a part of the body and if he strikes it it does immense damage it's never the same spot every single time then we also have of course like the headmaster yoshinobu gakuganji who's voiced by kyle Haber. it's kind of a shame we don't really get to see what he does with the metal guitar <laughs> which is apparently his ability but he helps introduce like another layer to the world of like the sorcery school and such because not everything is as it seems with Yoshinobu and just jujitsu high and such especially with having everything revolve around Yuji essentially like during the exam part he essentially tells the other students that like hey you didn't hear it from us but you gotta kill Yuji if you do that would be swell. It shows like a corruption within the school and the, like the politics of the like jujitsu world and such. Because he sees Yuji as just like, like a nonstop threat. Like there's nothing really saying like, huh, maybe he's not a threat. But no, he's just kind of like, if he's in the same room as me, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Basically take, taking that quote from Batman v Superman, like if there's even a 1% chance that he's our enemy, we have to take that as an absolute certainty. And then during, like, again, by episode five or six, we're introduced to the other students, like Maki Zenin, who's voiced by Allegra Clark, Panda, voiced by Matthew David Rudd, Toge Inumaki, who's voiced by Xander Mobis, with Maki, she's able to use curse weaponry and cannot see curses herself. That's why she wears the glasses and such. She's also another hard-edged character who takes no nonsense, which is just a nice change of pace because usually like with a lot of shonen shows, they try to give you every flavor of like, what are you attracted to? <laughs> it's like you got your hard-edged character, you got your brat, you got your shy character, you got your yandere and you get the idea. Uh-huh. Then we have Panda, who's, well, three spirits in one Panda body, who is really cool. I like his the idea of just like, here are these cursed spirits sharing this one body that Masamichi gave these spirits. And he's more like the equalizer. He doesn't want to get into fights, but he'll fight if he has to. Oh, yeah. And then we got Toge, who is just like, I mean, his character is very interesting because at first he's just saying sushi ingredients. It's like salmon or mullet roe or seaweed or rice, bonito flakes. (laughs) And you kind of think like, what the hell is with him? And then he has cursed speech to where it's basically like the mind reading quirk from My Hero Academia. If he says something, you're going and you're caught within his vicinity you're going to be caught in his trap. Like we, what we see in the movie where he says like crush the whole cursed spirit thing just got squished <laughs> like a, like a, like someone squeezing a juice out of an orange. And then we get like the other school classmates that include like Kasumi Miwa, who's also voiced by Allegra Clark. We got Mai Zinin, the sister to Maki, who's voiced by Laura Post. Momo Nishimiya, who's voiced by Tara Jane Sands. Mechamaru Ultimate, a mech suit-like character who is piloted by someone not in the same location, who's voiced by uh, Keith Silverstein. Noritoshi Kamo, who's voiced by Landon McDonald. 
who uses like arrows and blood curse techniques. But let's talk about what seems to be everyone's favorite character. Aoi Toto, who's also voiced by Xander Mobis. Oh my God. (laughs) Toto is, I don't know how to describe Toto other than he's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, he is a lot more intelligent. He's the musclehead trope character. He, you think that he's all about being beefy and strong, and he is. But, and like the show that actually uh, reveals within the movie shows that he is immensely strong, terrifyingly strong. Like he's basically one of the, the strongest characters in the show. Yet his, like some of his personality traits come through with like, he'll ask you the maybe just kind of, weird icebreaker question of like what type of woman you're into and well if he doesn't like your your answer he'll yeah he'll call you boring and then beat the tar out of you but then like with yuji when yuji answers his question and by the way it is so weird that this is yet another anime that is able to say like the actual names of real life people like yuji saying like i'm yuji itadori and my preferred a uh, woman is Jennifer Lawrence. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> can be a little bit of a, of a whiplash going between like real life celebrities and then like the kind of made up ones for this universe. Well, it's like they know what human centipede is, but it's not human centipede. Or it's like that looks like Lord of the Rings, but it's probably not called Lord of the Rings. Like when uh, Yuji is watching a bunch of movies and such. It's like watching Japan sinks and then being like, I'm going to order a bunch of stuff off of Amazon. And it's like, oh, that's weird. Or like how every anime known to man has a certain form of McDonald's as like Wickdonald's or McDornald's or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so first of all, that was just kind of weird. But anyway, when Yuji answers Toto's question, Toto is just like, you are my bro, man. Like they get into like a bromance and bond between the two. They even like play that up with like these non sequiturs of the two of them being like bros in a high school slice of life anime. <laughs> oh, those those crack me up like every time. This show is shockingly funny with how it handles its humor. Now it's a little much at times, like when Toto goes about this, like you're significance as a man is totally dependent on what kind of woman you like and even though like megumi does the reasonable thing and to say like uh looks aren't really all that important i like personality more even though toto's just like what the hell did you just say (laughs) he's basically like responding as if as if uh megumi said you know the the worst thing ever like yeah like he responds like he just like insulted his mother yeah (laughs) and then he's also like like he will he has this one thing where he loves this one idol girl that you see no matter what's going on he's going to be like it's like the idols like christmas special is going to be airing and i'm going to watch it (laughs) you could just record it no i'm going to watch it live along with everyone else because she's that important to me like they handle these characters in a very entertaining way like they still give them like plenty of backstory and such but they all work well off of one another like at least for these students for right now and 
I like that because sometimes it takes forever, like in Naruto or One Piece, for the side characters to like, oh, finally you got something interesting about you. Like with yeah, Naruto, no. it was like, man, who's this Archino character? I don't really care. Oh, he controls bugs. Like 35 episodes later, we find that out. That's what I like about this show so far. Even about like halfway through, you've established pretty much the, the whole ensemble. So you have a really good idea of who these characters are, what they like, what they're into, their motivations, et cetera, et cetera. Now, for the villains. So we kind of mentioned that Mahito is a horrifying individual. Basically, his cursed spirit ability is to essentially like reshape people like with his hands, which someone broke this down with uh, talking about the opening. They make sure to emphasize like when he shows up and then like in the first opening, like all the people are surrounding him and then they cut to like his monstrous creations. And then they make sure to emphasize that, like, you do not want him touching you. We see what happens. <laughs> he uh-huh. just will misshapen people, basically killing them. Or he'll reshape someone into a cursed spirit, like that we see within uh, Yuji's first real dramatic story arc of trying to save this one student that just happened to befriend Mahito. And then we're also introduced to, like, a few strong cursed spirits with... Jogo, this volcanic cursed spirit, who's voiced by Michael Sorek, who uh, is a really good implication of just like, okay, how strong can these curses be? And then we also have like Hanami, this more nature, forest, tree-like cursed spirit, voiced by Mary Westbrook. And then we have Dagon, which is essentially Cthulhu. (laughs) Basically. I mean, so far we haven't seen what he does, but you know, considering how strong these first two are, it's got it's all like assuming that you don't want to really mess with him unless you have a plan. Even though he all he does is really just float around and look adorable, like a little Cthulhu plush doll. But then we have our like the main villain of the movie and the show, uh Suguru Ghetto, who's voiced by Lex Lang, which you know it's surreal to hear. Uh, Goemon Ishikawa from Lupin the Third be the villain. <laughs> who is this um, jujitsu sorcerer who wants just a world of other sorcerers? He wants to get rid of them. And by collecting all these cursed spirits, and like he doesn't do a whole lot within the anime at first, but you get the idea of how dangerous he is just by how everyone talks about him out and how he was one of the first and only well one of the few students to be banished so you know something's up would you say like he's the the sauron or voldemort of the series so far pretty much he's also the better version of naraku from inuyasha because while he does have like strategy in hand especially with what we see in the uh, movie and whatnot. He isn't really like bothered by if he has to get his hands dirty, which I like. I like villains that are more hands-on. Like, yeah, (laughs) for a better or worse term, hands-on. And Mahito is also like very curious and very playful and 
not naive per se, but like the fact that he almost got himself killed and then he's just like, yeah, I almost got myself killed. Whoops. <laughs> Acting like, <laughs> oh, oh, it's just a minor inconvenience. I like these villains. I think they're way more interesting than just like, oh, here's Orochimaru and then he's going to be gone for like 20 episodes until he shows up and what he's doing is just sitting around. <laughs> the problem with Naraku was just like, he was more of a strategist and you really didn't believe how, I mean, he was strong, but the fact that he would be like in the background more or less most of the time was tiring after a while. It's like, what's his point? What's his plan besides getting the jewel and whatever? Here, it's just like, you know who the villains are, you know what their plans are, and you know how threatening they can be. And then when all is said is said and done, they build up the world, the corruption, the main goal of the villains and such. The action and the animation is, of course, extremely top-notch. MAPPA warts and all there's a reason why they have some of the best animation in the anime industry just the detail just the visual fluidity and the fact that they just they know how grand scale these battles are Mm -hmm. even in like those first three episodes or hell just like the first episode the fights are very creative in how they're staged it's even like more elaborate than just power beams and and martial arts like there's there's a little bit more flair each of these scenes right right there's a real dynamic sense of action camera moves and how i like it'll like be close up and then zoom out and then zoom back in and just the feeling and the gravity of all like the punches the kicks and just the strategy and and all that jazz it's really fun to watch and it makes a lot of like shows that are supposed to be action look really mediocre like naruto could look great but you'd have to let it have the time to do so which is not always the case it would always just have like one camera angle characters would punch and do the typical stuff it would be fine but this is what happens when you aren't you know, committed to a weekly release, like a nonstop weekly release and what have you. Yep. And it just hits harder. Like action anime from MAPPA hit harder. Like same with like Wit Studios and Ufoldable, the studios who worked on, you know, like Attack on Titan and Demon Slayer. Like they're making sure, and it obviously helps that these shows are getting all the money as well. So they're able to, make these battles look as good as they do they make them look as cinematic as they do as feature film quality as they do and unfortunately that's not always a given with most anime and not every anime needs to but it's always a a nice thing to see like a comedy or something get like the same intense commitment of an action show to its comedy and such you don't notice it until you actually watch something like this it's an overall really polished show, like presentation wise. And unfortunately that is coming off from like the result of overworked underpaid animators, which, you know, hashtag new deal for animation. And let's hope that deal can go over to anime and such. And the anime industry can get unionized and such. Seriously. 
because I love anime. I love shows like this. You got to treat your animators well. Because <laughs> apparently there's a lot of like issues from Mappa of just like, yeah, we wouldn't have to be redrawing everything if you actually taught people how to animate and such. Which, you know, is never a good sign or a good thing to hear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the big story from last year when, uh, well, it was like the first time something was wrong with Ma- MAPPA where one of the head animators quit because he's like, I wouldn't be able to work on any of the things we're being overworked because they keep booking like four projects at once. It just makes you wonder why can't more anime studios be like Kyo Annie? <laughs> Seriously. Of what we know so far, of what we've seen so far with this new season coming out in 2023, what, do you have any issues with Jujutsu Kaisen, the show? Because I want to talk about the show first, and then we can jump into the movie. I don't really have a lot to complain about, other than I just want to see more from these characters. I want to learn a little bit more about, I want to learn a little bit more about like, how the curse world works. I also want to know a little bit more backstory of Sukuna and why he is like as revered and feared as he is. But as far as like actual criticisms, I can't really say I have too many. The show is just rock solid. Like had the show come out when I was younger, you know, around the time of Yu Yu Hakusho and all of those other classic shonen series, this would have like easily been an all-time favorite. I think some of the pacing can be a little wonky at times. Like, I get it. You want to cut the fat as much as possible. But sometimes there were moments where I was like, okay, maybe let the story breathe a little. Even though I understand it's like you want to get to the more important story beats and then, of course, the big action sequences where... The second half of the season has some of the best action sequence in anime. You can tell that's where all the resources went. <laughs> oh, certainly. Especially with the fight against Hanami, which is just funny because it's just like, huh, they're standing around for a lot of these episodes. They're just kind of talking. And then Hanami shows up and it's like, oh, that's where all the money went. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, there aren't that many issues. It's not like My Hero Academia where it's just kind of like, yeah the female characters are better but they're still underdeveloped like as characters but it's just really good and i know a lot of people are upset that it's like oh we gotta wait a year for more jujitsu kaisen and it's just like hey we just got this movie we'll be fine if you want animators to be treated better even with mappa doing you know 100 million shows you gotta let these shows take their time to get made Exactly. Because we saw what happened with One Punch Man. I know beating a dead horse, I get it. But One Punch Man is the result of like them not wanting to wait because they were afraid that people wouldn't like One Punch Man a year from now. And now it's just kind of like, well, okay, if there's a third season coming out, it better be good. <laughs> and you don't want to do that with something at, with a Shonen Battle franchise. You don't want to have that like moment of lapse in quality because that will hurt the brand oh yeah so speaking of movie 
let's talk about the prequel movie because I think there's a lot more to talk about with this. I mean, we talked about the show. It's great. Loved it. One of my favorite shows from 2020. But I think as a whole, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero is a lot more interesting to talk about. For those who want a little synopsis, this film, and we're not even quite sure where this takes place. It just kind of takes place before Yuji. I think um, it takes place like a year or so before the main story starts because... That's right, because the second years that are more of the focus here are... first-year students. Okay, that makes more sense. They're still strong and, like, awesome. It's just, you know, it's like, oh, they were in 10th grade this year in the show, but now they're ninth grade here, so... Right. So the film follows Yuta Akatsu, a nervous high school student who is suffering from a serious problem. His childhood friend Rika has turned into a curse and won't leave him alone. Since Rika is no ordinary curse, his plight is noticed by Satoru Gojo, a teacher at Jujutsu High, a school where fledgling exorcists learn how to combat curses. Gojo convinces Yuta to enroll, but can he learn enough in time to confront the curse that haunts him? So let's talk about this for a second. This is a prequel film. It's pretty much the perfect franchise film. I would agree with that. Because, I mean, I have my issues with the story, but just as, as a piece of media, it's perfect because you don't need to know anything about the show to get into it, to watch it. You are pretty much caught up with everything with the story. And it even kind of is meta about it where it's just like, oh yeah, this is what the school's here for. And they're just like, and you're just telling the main, the kid now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that was just a meta joke. It had to be because that was definitely one of my biggest laughs. That was great. Just a good hearty laugh there. And then it's just like, it actually rewards you if you go into the show right after, but it also rewards you if you watch the show first, which I know it sounds kind of confusing, but it's like you can watch it on your own and then watch the show. But if you want to, you can also go back with this first season right now is done. And then everything kind of hits harder. Story beats that are mentioned within the anime are shown here like the big parade during uh, December 24th at the Cursed Spirit Parade and whatnot. And Tojo being all like basically laying waste to a bunch of cursed spirits, <laughs> which is referenced within the show, like stuff like that. And that's just cool. Like it's a very weird oddity of a franchise film because we've talked about this with Demon Slayer and everyone kind of knows me. I'm not a huge fan of franchise films. They're usually filler. They introduce a bunch of cool, interesting story beats. Never get brought up again. Yeah, and then you're watching the anime and it's just like, oh man, it's too bad you don't have this from the movie, but that's not canon, so... (laughs) Here, it is actually important to the overall franchise to watch this because the show does show reference to Yuta a couple times during the later parts. And then it's like, that's a good way to be like, huh, who is this character they keep referencing with the sword and such? And now it's like, well, hey, buddy, hey, I heard you want to know more about the character. We got this fancy new movie that you can watch. That's all about him. Now, speaking of Utah, I have to ask, out of the two central protagonists, 
Who do you prefer, Yuta or Yuji? I think Yuji as a whole, but Yuta, Yuta's kind of stuck in a damn if you do, damn if you don't kind of situation. Because Yuta himself starts off as a very like, I'm a meek, kind of submissive male character. And everyone kind of hangs over me and is like pushes me around or like takes control of the situation that I, I need to be more helpful in. And that character is not always well written. You have to be so careful because if you get the whiny emo kid character, it's tough because that character trope was like fresh and new, like when Akira came out. For at least for the American audience, but then like when Sasuke is just so prevalent with how he uh, how he acts and who he is, people are then going to be like, "Man, I can't stand this person." Like, just this is like, get me out of the room with him. <laughs> but I think Yuta is an interesting character, just someone who has to deal with loss and grief, especially since he's the one who cursed Rika to be connected with him and Rika to be this monstrous spirit. But I do like his introduction like to the other classmates because in this film we're all we are reintroduced or if you watch the film first introduced to Maki, Toge and Panda. And how he does his first step and then everyone's just like oh, we might have to kill him right now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what do you think about Yuta? Like do you agree that he's kind of annoying or do you think it just comes with the territory especially with yuta's backstory of being like a sick child and then losing his friend rika at a young age and being just kind of like i don't know where to go with life i only found him annoying in the very beginning partially because to some extent he's kind of our at least for like for the first act he's kind of our audience surrogate in terms of introducing us to the world of the jujitsu sorcerers but we actually get into like the meat of his arc once you realize that this movie is ultimately a love story and a story about finding closure with grief you end up really warming up to yuta by the end he's handled better than most but i understand that some people are like oh gosh (laughs) but that's kind of unfortunately the thing he's meek and kind of weak at the beginning and then as he encounters his first cursed spirit situation which those spirits at the school just creepy as hell the designs are very jiggly it's like the movie looked at the show and it's just like oh huh weird the dial was only at 11 it needs to be at 20 (laughs) yep oh the things with like the one eye and like the stitched shoes thing and hearing the spirits say like you gotta put me on and then like that one, that big blue spirit with the legs and such, like, oh, when they first meet it, just creepy, creepy stuff. I don't think you would be horrified, but I could see someone being like getting a good scare here and there. These characters very like willing, like let themselves fit into like a more horror emphasized show. Mm-hmm. Especially like with Suguru, who is our main villain of the film. And it's weird because like i felt weird criticizing the show because it was like yeah but you know we'll probably see more of them in the future and see what happens but a lot of the prequel 
answers those questions for us. Like that's how we find out that Suguru wants to rule a world with just sorcerers and such. He has like this thing where he calls humans monkeys. And every time he deals with them, he sprays a little like cleaning spray on him. He's like, oh, I don't want the people to smell the monkeys on me. And it's just like, Jesus, buddy. (laughs) And then we're also introduced to like a bunch of other sorcerers that are luckily not movie exclusive because it sounds like they are going to be, they play a more important part, Uh which is nice because I like Miguel and just hearing the idea of like, oh, so there are different ways of jujitsu sorcery around the world. And uh, Bill Butts plays Miguel, and he's great, as usual. And then we got, like, the two teenagers, the one who, like, you don't get to... Well, I think that's the one of the few criticisms I have, and I hope we see them more in the future. They don't do a whole lot with these side villains. They're just kind of there. Most of the time, like, in a franchise action film, they would have, like, a bunch of... Like, they would have the big bad. And then they would have like maybe three or four, if you're lucky, five exclusive villains for like a bunch of the characters to fight. Oh, yep. And here it sounds like these characters will appear again. It's just the story is not about them. It's about Yuta and just him coming with closure and just being like, I will protect my friends. I mean, like, it just has a lot of the same things about what make the show great. It's funny. I mean, not all the jokes hit, but it's still very humorous at points. Though I don't think any joke hits as hard as the whole, like, so you're just telling him now? (laughs) That one was kind of my biggest laugh, but every other point of comic relief still hit pretty hard. Like, I still got a chuckle, like, when Panda takes Utah away from him, his sparring match with Maki. Even though, like, I don't like the joke itself, it's still just, like, Panda being a punk, which you don't really see in the in the show. It doesn't mean, like, hey, Maki, you got a chance. And it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> you are the worst. And Gojo, of course, is his usual bubbly self, where he's he'll say something horrific and then be like, now let's go get ice cream. Hooray. <laughs> and Toge gets a little more time to, like, show the more nuance of his limited speech. And I like that. I like that they do build up the characters. And then when you watch the show, it's like, oh yeah, these characters are here. The final action sequence, it's good all around. Especially when Rika's cursed form at the beginning tears apart the school. And then when Yuta and Toge have to deal with that once uh, high level cursed spirit, then of course the, But the big set piece, well, it's like a two-parter. You got the parade of demons and then the fight between Ghetto and Yuta. That fight is the reason I went to see this movie twice in theaters because... It looks um, great on the big screen. It does. (laughs) I did mention earlier that like a kind of sort of nitpick I had with the film is that compared to the show, it doesn't look all that different. I'm literally only saying that grading it on MAPA standards. Because if this was at any other studio or like some of the lesser, this would be like amazing. I understand what you're saying. It's basically like MAPPA's already working on a 10. This is only an 11 compared to the show's 10. But this would right. be like a 20 compared to, again, not to pick on Leiden, but 
it's kind of hard to not to because how Leiden really stretched themselves thin with how a child of Kamiari month looked. So I understand. It's just, you know, it's stuff like that happens. And of course, like saying Mappa always does amazing work is still, again, at the cost of overworking their animators, which is a shame because it sounds like you want anime to look like Mappa all the time. Well, that means less anime has to come out and the work, the animators have to have more time. Exactly. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think people would be willing to do more of that. But anyway, I will say one thing that does irk me about the film is the fact that Yuta and Rika's romance is not really great. Well, not great, but undercooked. Like the same issue with the show. It wants you to know, like right then and there, what the driving goal of the movie is. Yuta wants to take care of Rika and find out why the curse has happened to him. I mean, the film doesn't have a lot of time to really have moments where it's just Yuta and Rika talking. Rika is just, unfortunately gets the, uh, the demon slayer treatment and is only brought out to be horrifically violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would have been nice to see more of Yuta and Rika on screen. Cause like, just talking or something, flushing them out. And who knows, maybe they'll do that with the show if Utah is brought back into the fold, which I'm sure he is. He, he is. absolutely will be. I just think Rika got the short end of the stick because we already know Maki's going to be great. And we have hopes that like Nanako Hasaba, Mimiko Hasaba, and Manami Suda, the three other female characters outside of like the faculty and such are going to be better. But Rika doesn't get that. And that's kind of a shame. It's a bit unfortunate because really all we know about these two characters is that, you know, they met each other kind of when they were both in the hospital. And then all we really know about their relationship is like, they love each other. And then she dies in a car accident. Yeah, like she gives Yuta a ring and Yuta makes the promise slash curse slash deal. It's like, yes, when we get older, we will get married. And that's why Rika is so protective and, well, not back in call, but like there's that moment where she thinks Maki is stealing Yuta and Yuta's like, chill. And then Rika acts like, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Don't hate me. And Yuta's like, I don't hate you. It's just like, it's definitely like interesting. It's like out out of like what this movie does well, it does have a few moments where it's like, I wish they could have done better, but I hope they don't try to do something like what Demon Slayer Mugen Train did where they made a super successful film and then they chopped it up to make episodes. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero doesn't work as like its own little mini anime series. It works as a film. Do not touch it. Unless you wanted to add in a few more scenes of Yuta and Rika's bond and such. But who knows? I haven't read the original Kaizen Zero manga. I'm just saying from a film, like for someone who's just watching the anime in the film. From what I understand, like even the movie kind of added a few like details of Gojo. Yeah, that like weren't in the manga already. So if it, the film is already kind of a a more fleshed out version of the prequel manga, then I don't think they need to, you know, convert this into 
like a TV arc. Yeah, they don't need to do much else. And I like getting a little more about Gojo and his uh, dynamic and friendship between Ghetto. Because you can kind of tell, like, they expand on that, where they were best friends and then a difference of ideals, one that is immensely more genocidal. (laughs) You know, I would break up with friends who thought like that, too. I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, That Ghetto was hurt but still considers Gojo a friend and Gojo still thinks Ghetto is a friend. But yeah, wanting to kill the entire human race, except for other sorcerers gets you put on the bad guy list. (laughs) As much as I like to say, it's like, Oh, it's a perfect franchise film. Could someone who's not into anime just go and watch this? No preconceived notions and such. Like if someone just said, Hey, let's watch a movie. And they see, oh, what's this Jujitsu Kaisen Zero? Most people could walk in and be like, yeah, you can watch it. Like, no strings attached. I'd say yes and no. Yes, because as we've pretty much established, because this is a prequel, you do not need to do any uh, homework beforehand. So you can go in and watch this and enjoy it as it is. But at the same time, it is one of those movies that you know, despite getting a pretty wide release and according to the box office, it's super th- successful. 17 million on its opening weekend. That is mad impressive. Super um, impressive. I mean, granted, just like Mugen Train, there's a lot of context to take into consideration. There is really nothing else coming out. <laughs> yeah. Theater wise, I mean. And I mean, there are smaller films, but like in terms of like, big films pretty much nothing is in theaters right now that's like bigger than the batman right which you know it didn't have to be like that turning red (laughs) sorry but going back to my uh answer i would warn people who are like total anime virgins that you know some of the nuances might be acquired tastes you know like the tonal whiplash between some of the darker imagery and like the just completely uh, irreverent humor. That might take some getting used to, but other than that, I honestly can comfortably recommend this to anyone, whether you're a hardcore fan or just someone who's kind of curious to see what the hype is about. Yeah, it, like as much as I liked Mugen Train, you really had to watch the show. And Unfortunately, like the My Hero Academia films are very much you have to watch the show to enjoy the the films kind of thing. And that's a shame that like, granted, I think that's the one thing that's always going to hurt franchise films is that you will have to do a little more homework than most. Granted, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero basically says you don't have to do any homework if you don't want to to watch it it's just kind of tough so like i have to be very picky about what anime i show to people or like my family i don't think i could show them this unless they wanted to watch the show first and then understand and be like yeah so those parts in the show mean mean a lot more now that you've watched the movie but still definitely go see it even if i didn't like this movie it's just like People are still going to go see it. It's making money right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's definitely one of the best films so far this year. I 
it's in my top five for right now. We'll have to see where it uh, stays or goes as the year goes on. But for a, a fairly slow start in theatrical animation this year, go watch it. Uh, yeah, I think this is like right outside my top five. But yeah, this movie is awesome. You will know immediately if this is something that interests you. So, but that's really, a, that's all I have to say. Like, um, I can't, well, I can wait for the new season for next year. <laughs> we kind of have to. Yeah, no, um, I'm fine with waiting. I think, like, I'm pretty satisfied right now. And it's a good show. It's a good franchise. And probably one of the better shonen focused shows out there. Yeah, I would agree to that. I'd say this is probably my, my top five favorite anime of the past decade check it out really like i'd say like if someone had to watch a franchise i'd show them jujitsu kaisen i think that's the one that most people would like even though like this and my hero academia and demon slayer are entirely different shows all things considered but jujitsu just kind of gives me everything that i want in a franchise like this so i think out that's it All right. Now, as for recommendations, because I'm me and because I know a lot of people love these two shows, I wanted to just talk about the mid-season premieres for both The Owl House and Amphibia. Keep it spoiler-free as possible. (laughs) Yes. um, I, I will not spoil anything. I'm just going to say, man, it feels good to have these shows back. And both of these episodes, for being off the air for a couple months now, it just felt really good to dive back into these worlds and just just to see like where the story goes. For Amphibia, this is their final season. For The Owl House, we have half of one season left and then three 44-minute specials, which the more I keep hearing about them, the more excited I get. We still don't know exactly how the show is going to end, but I can only imagine it's going to be something as epic as like, Sosin's Comet or Weird Mageddon from Gravity Falls. Right, right. I think that's a possibility with Owl House. I still wish they could go back and redo the whole, like, season three is going to be three specials, but, you know, Disney's going to Disney, and, you know, they need to really get rid of Bob Chappick. Just saying. Yeah, he should have been gone, like, ages Day ago. <laughs> Especially with all that's going on, it's just like knowing happened with going on behind the scenes and such at Disney and their productions and such. And they're putting the, the gay kiss back into Lightyear. That doesn't solve anything, though. That's just a Band-Aid over a gaping flesh wound of a situation that Disney is in right now with how really just homophobic they are. There's no way to put it awful and such. So, you know, uh. Disney say gay, fire Bob Chappick, and Disney do better. Yes, I will probably enjoy watching Amphibia and Owl House, but it is just kind of like, uh, it just it's going to have that that thought of how Bob Chappick is running the company is going to be in the back of my head, and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, so like from now until his contract ex- expires, which is allegedly February of next year, we'll just always have to put that asterisk at the top of like any sort of Disney recommendation. 
Right. Yeah, especially going forward now. For my recommendation, I wanted to make sure everyone knew that new episodes of Jellystone are out on HBO Max. And it's not season two. It's season 1B. That's another thing we kind of had to see the dirty laundry of with how they cut up batches of episodes and what have you. So this isn't season two. The service will want you to think it's season two, but it's season 1B. But these episodes are wildly entertaining. They are super funny. Just that same, if you loved the same absurd zany humor of the first batch of episodes, they amp it up here. I have laughed immensely hard like this morning when I was watching a lot of them. It's just great. Again, it's like my analogy of like, huh, the dial was at 11 and needs to be at a 22. Are there any um, new characters introduced in these episodes that we like haven't seen yet? Uh, Yes, in background and foreground. They do have more Easter eggs of like Hanna-Barbera characters and they are expanding more like time to like flesh these incarnations out which is just great i like see that was one of my criticisms of the first batch of episodes was like i like these characters but i'm ready to see more done with some of them we get more time with like johnny quest and haji and they even make like a deep cut hannah barbara character like appear in the same episode with johnny quest and haji and It's kind of funny, like I haven't seen all the episodes of this new batch yet, but if they are, they're kind of skating the line of like, we are making so many references to uh, the Flintstones without actually having the Flintstones. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, I'm wondering if they will at some point have more, like we'll introduce the Flintstones because they keep saying like bedrock or... They'll show like Easter egg, like clothes, like you'll see Fred Flintstone's outfit or there's a Dino like playground, like one of those like bouncy spring pony things. And there's one that's actually a reference to the Jetsons also there as well. So it's really interesting to see how they are implementing it. It's still just super chaotic, though, which is just my kind of comedy for these characters they even take a jab at the old school designs and animation. Oh, nice. It's just like, they're like, help, I can't move. <laughs> I won't spoil anymore. But yes, do watch this new batch of Jellystones episodes on HBO Max. They are just a delight. That sounds like so much fun. I am looking forward to diving into uh, those new uh, episodes. That's right, because we're going to be taking a break this next week and then we will come back and do our next uh renegade animation awards 2021 was a year we'll dive into our uh version of award season we'll just do a little wrap up of just like here's what we kind of thought overall about the year and like with tv and the anime and films and what have you so I can't wait. It'll be fun to just have a more laid back episode. Same. But until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter at uh, CamsEyeView. I have my own website called CamsEyeView.biz where I review animated shows and films from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at Patreon.com slash CamsEyeView. If you like my work, you can 
and want to support me in some way, shape, or form, you can support my Patreon. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on Podchaser and the Banana Meter. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Mean escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.